G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. And now study 30, the last of our studies in Luke's Gospel, based on Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to the end of the book. It's about the appearances and ascension of Jesus. First, we need to take an overview of all the major events that appear in this passage. The life and ministry of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension, and consider their interrelationships. Question 1. Why is it absolutely essential that the crucifixion and the resurrection did not happen until after the earthly ministry of Jesus was completed. Who Jesus was, the representative and completely faithful Israelite, who was also identified as God by the nature of the works he did, Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God, All this had to be firmly established before he could enter into his work of redemption. This is what the difficult phrase at the end of Romans chapter 4 means. Jesus was resurrected, therefore he was the Messiah. Therefore he justifies us, brings us in him into the Abrahamic family of God's true people. Furthermore, The kingdom of God had to be announced, inaugurated, and its establishment commence, a work that would not be completed until after the end of this age. Question 2. What did the resurrection add to the crucifixion? At least two things. First, proof. Dying on a cross was easy. All you had to do was upset the Romans. So the resurrection looked back, validating the crucifixion, showing that it was not just another death, but the death, fundamentally important for everybody on this earth. Second, it looked forward, indicating that Jesus had inaugurated the days of the new life possibility spoken of in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 11. There we read that we were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in 
Christ Jesus. Now we can be truly alive, slaves to righteousness and to God, no longer slaves to sin. Luke may well have been getting near the end of his scroll by now, so he tells us about just two carefully chosen accounts of appearances. The first of these, verses 13 to 35, which we now read, is particularly full of theological and practical significance. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Question 3. Why did Jesus apparently threaten to move on? What does that say to us?
not all the movement towards faith had to come from Jesus. The two disciples had to do something, however slight, to show that they were moving in heart and mind towards him. Exactly the same is true of us. We need to do something to show that faith is beginning to grow in our lives. It was only when Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, presumably using the same words and gestures he had used in the upper room, that they recognised him. But even as they saw who it was, were their mouths still wide open with shock, he disappeared. Question 4. Why? Not, why did they recognise him? That is pretty obvious. But why did he disappear at just that moment? And again, how does that translate into our experience, our lives? John reported that Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was following the principle behind that statement. Faith is a matter of the will and conviction, without the simplicity of certain knowledge. Jesus constructed a situation that speaks directly to us many centuries later. We are to say, my Lord and my God, as Thomas did, and will be even more blessed than he was. And now we read chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I have told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer, and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Question 5. What is the main thing Jesus stresses in both these appearances, and that Luke is careful to stress in his accounts? 
he is obviously giving us the strongest possible hint as to how the church is to act through the ages. How well do we apply this to our context? Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself on the road to Emmaus, and he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures as they sat and ate in the upper room. This website is full of teaching about the scriptures. That is totally deliberate. This is what we were instructed to do in these verses. The old book of common prayer says of the scriptures we are to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I can't say it better than that. Finally, we're going to read the last four verses, chapter 24, Verses 50 to 53. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Question 6. Why was the ascension important? Couldn't Jesus have just stopped appearing anymore? Jesus had to be seen to ascend to heaven, where he would take his rightful place at the right hand of God, begin his rule as the Lord of all, and start his work of interceding for us, as we struggle on here on earth. The Holy Spirit will come, as Jesus said, when he told them to stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He will have the power to enable us, you and me, to live the true life of the ages. Also, this is the end of one great episode in the story of redemption, the mission of Jesus and the beginning of another, the mission of the church. Question 7. Why did Jesus leave them in the middle of blessing them? Can you see any long-term significance in that? There is unfinished business to be done, which they had to do from Jerusalem to the ends of their world, and we have to do in our world. And so we come to the end of our long journey through this fascinating gospel. May you have received as much joy and blessing in hearing and reading and thinking about these things as we have had in the preparation of these notes. We hope to do the same thing with the second volume of Luke's, The Acts of the Apostles. We hope you will join us on our journey through that fascinating book. But before we sign off at the end of these notes... Here is a final question for you. We finish the last study with a challenge to you, particularly if you are not already a follower of Jesus, to think deeply about what you have heard. What conclusion did you come to? 
If, perhaps, you have decided to start following Jesus from this time on, we would like to encourage you to tell someone else, probably another follower of Jesus, about your decision. Doing that will help to fix the the decision firmly in its place, in your mind, the mind of others, and above all, in the mind of the Lord God. Another way of doing that would be through this website, but that is a weaker way because we are not close to you, seeing you living day by day. Whatever you have decided, and whatever happens from now on, may Jesus the Lord be with you and bless you. Amen. This was the final of the set of 30 studies in Luke by Roger. All studies will remain available online at www.partakers.co.uk. Every day, something new is added to the site to help you live your life as a Christian disciple in the 21st century. Included in this, coming shortly, will be a new series written by Roger called Finding the Way in AD 100, which is the story from the early days of the Christian church. www.partakers.co.uk is the address to look for. Thank you.